0: It's the international break, which I know for a lot of footy talks, podcast listeners is their least favorite part of the season. But I, for one, still believe in the magic of international soccer, even if I don't get to see that very much while watching our Canadian men's national team. But anyway, my name is Mitchell Tierney, MLS editor here at Homestand Sports. And on today's show, it's going to be a lot of Canada talk. We will touch on the 2026 World Cup bid the new CONCACAF Nations League, and the all-Canadian MLS matchup this past weekend between Toronto FC and the Montreal Impact. But we'll start in Morthia, Spain, if I pronounce that correctly, where John Herdman is currently leading his first camp as Canadian men's national team coach ahead of a friendly against New Zealand on Saturday. Our guest this week joins us on the ground from Spain. It's Gavin Day, a man with bylines everywhere including cp and sportsnet it's also probably the only journalist crazy enough to try and cover this camp in person gavin how's spain treating you so far
1: well, it's been a long, long tri- uh, trip to get out here. It's, they, they've organized it, I think, about as far away from a major international airport as possible, <laughs> maybe to make things difficult for me. I don't know. But, uh, you know, so it was a flight in, a train out, and then there was a bus. I suppose I could have just rented a car, but, uh, you know, sitting on the train for five hours gave me a chance to sleep. So jet lag hasn't hit, and it's a
0: lovely part of the world. That's great to hear. Uh, let's get into this. As I mentioned, the the reason you are there is this Canadian men's national team camp. Um, you were at training this morning. Um, what's the word on the ground? How are things going as as the team prepares for Saturday?
1: Well, it was a pretty relaxed atmosphere in the group. Uh, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie being built as there's sort of a mix of of youth and experience in there. Uh, you know, you can't really get much in the way of impressions because they do. Very closely guard their secrets with this group. They they did an eleven v eleven portion. wasn't allowed to see it. They did some set pieces. wasn't allowed to see that either. So uh, I, I got the little the little nuggets of of what I did see is, um, you know, it's Herdman's just dived right in there. Uh, he, he's quite vocal in the middle of things. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a relaxed group. And I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of pulling out all the stops. There is uh one of their coaches was flying a, a drone above the field. Now I know they usually have someone at elevation recording their sessions anyway, but this was a new dynamic. The first time I ever noticed the, the drone flying above the field. So, uh, you know, it was great conditions. We expect great conditions on Saturday as well. And at this stage, you know, just about anybody could be involved.
0: Someone like Canada Soccer just got a really exciting Christmas present and wanted to try it out, I think, um, with the drone It's quite there. possible. Yeah, <laughs> which is, that's an interesting one. I've never um heard heard of a team try out that before um as as you mentioned a number of of new faces in this national team uh camp this week um the newest one to the program at least is is david weatherspoon a midfielder for saint Johnstone in the scottish premier league um i i got a chance to talk to him and i came very very close to calling him jeremy which uh wouldn't have been the the best first impression um but, uh, hey, but
1: that's that's a little Canadian little fact there that uh, I certainly would have appreciated. He probably <laughs> would have had no clue, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I uh, I'm glad I, I ultimately avoided it. Um, he he talked about how much uh, Scott Arfield had had a you know a lot to do with uh, him deciding to make this switch. Obviously, seeing Scott um, switch from Scotland uh, to Canada. Um, you know, and all the positive things he had to say about that didn't look like Wotherspoon was going to get a chance with the Scottish setup. So uh, what does this player potentially bring to Canada?
1: Well, it's not, you know, the the most usual way you want to construct a national program by guys who won't get shots with other teams. But, <laughs> uh, you know, he's an experienced guy who comes in when, you know, there's there's a team that, uh, you know, Atiba Hutchinson's day's... Are numbered uh if you know whether we see him anytime soon again he I know he was called into this camp, but initially, but other reasons happened there's no Julian de Guzman. you need experienced guys like that, and i I think Arfield has been great for the program uh he's always a delight to talk to um, and you need another guy like this who you know if if we're I'm sure he's just about as affable as as, as our field is as well, so uh you know he's a guy who. Who certainly has pre- plenty of professional experience he can impart on some of the younger guys who are just earlier on in their campaigns and generally uh join into a group that's that's building some chemistry and building some camaraderie
0: and you talked about those younger guys um a lot of them a lot of them named Liam as well um Millar and Frazier and then Con- confusingly uh, so <laughs> yeah um uh Marcus Gudinho as well there's there's a number of uh, of young players in this camp as as John Herdman kind of looks to looks to the youth a little bit to as he tries to revamp this program um who's the one in particular you're you're interested in seeing this week especially with how they do potentially if they get match time uh on Saturday
1: Uh you know I I'm excited to see uh Liam Miller spoke with him today the the Liverpool fella and he looks you know he looks certainly sprightly Uh, he looks like he's not afraid to sort of get stuck in there. So, you know what? He's a guy who's been coached by Steven Gerrard and it would be interesting to see what, what he looks like in this kind of setup. Um, You know, another one is, is a guy like Chris Twardek who certainly Millwall has eyes on to be something in the future in England and, you know, a big, tall player. I heard uh, Jason Lutwiler, the goalkeeper, jokingly call him Peter Crouch over and over <laughs> again. And, and, and you see that. Um, mm. But, yeah, at this stage, I mean, Herdman sort of, uh, you know, you can hear him shouting a lot uh, encouragement at those younger players giving them direction and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this young group unfolds under Herdman because you know in an ideal situation the Canadian Soccer Association would love to see these guys uh, with Herdman long term
0: glad to hear Herdman still shouting a whole bunch
1: oh it's it's what he does expect that uh, mysterious Twitter account to get plenty of action because I think the yeah, SCSA is streaming that one and uh, I don't think I don't imagine it's they're going to be breaking down the doors from uh, locals crowding in so you you will likely get an earful from him uh, uh, on
0: Saturday <laughs> um, yeah and the, the one for me that I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing is if, if he does get game time is Derek Cornelius just because what the national team needs right now in terms of for once, for some reason, Canada doesn't have enough center backs. I know defensive play has always been Canada's strength, or at least in the time I've been following the national team. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have a couple of pretty good attacking players, and now they can't seem to figure things out on the defensive end. So a player playing regular minutes in the Serbian Super League um, at at just age 20 that's that's pretty exciting in terms of what the national team needs. Um, how much do you expect to see? You know, all of these kids play on Saturday in this match. We we've seen Herdman. Um, you know, with the, on the woman's side, he likes to he like to integrate a lot of the younger players. It seems to be doing that as well. So, um, you know, are we going to see a lot of minutes from these guys? Do you think?
1: I just I would not put it past him. I mean, Herdman. Uh, showed no fear throwing throwing some some kids in with the women's team. It's obviously a completely different situation now. Uh, but, you know, New Zealand, I don't think, has their strongest team possible. So there's no greater opportunity to to see some of these kids in action early on. And you mentioned at center back, I mean, there's there's David Edgar, there's Mandrakar James, there's Dan Yakovic, guys who, well, that, in Edgar's case, this is his chance to to impress a potential club. Uh, but you know there are other guys who you know Dejan Jakovic and and James have have club teams to go and worry about. So especially if it's a, a physical game, you're you're going to want to give them a chance to to run out there for a bit. And and then if you get a, a kid who plays in Serbia, which I know mustn't be the, which must be rather a, a quite physical league. He'll he'll suit himself nicely there. So just don't be surprised if if there are younger players starting their younger players coming off the bench it's you know at this stage uh everybody's getting a feel for everybody for players and coach
0: and uh, i might have buried the lead a little bit here because i think for most national team fans the most interesting name um isn't even necessarily on the roster it's it's the coach john herdman um still a lot of mystery and and um, a lot of that you can, I think, chalk up to to Canada Soccer not really, you know, giving us a whole lot in terms of of John Herdman and how this decision came about, and you know, even what his vision is for this men's national team and why exactly he he wanted this job. Um, is is there anything more you've been able to learn about about John Herdman and and what he plans to do with the men's national team? Um, you know, finally getting to see all this in person.
1: Yeah, he's he's keeping his cards close to his chest I obviously didn't touch on January and and the sort of must I don't want to say mess around that but the 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 circumstances that led to his being hiring um but he yeah he was sort of saying he he wants to provide a vision he wants to provide a a structure and and a criteria for for men's national team players and they're liking his clarity they're saying he has a, a very clear vision Uh, They are apparently all on the same page at this stage of what they want. So he, uh, you know, he's he's learned a lot. He he told me he did learn lessons about Canadian players in general in his time with the women's team. And from what he's gathered so far, there there are a lot of similarities in sort of Canada's defensive organization and all that. So he, uh, you know, he's 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 keeping his secrets to himself. I'll say that, but. you know, he he does have an idea of where he wants to take this team and how they want to do it. So, uh, you know, we'll get an early impression on Saturday, and then, you know, going forward, we'll we'll be able to obviously sort of build on what we've seen.
0: Saturday's match does come against a bit of a bizarre opponent. Um, evidently, the John Herdman Connections to New Zealand, he did used to coach their women's team. So that probably had something to do with why this is uh, his first opponent um, but at the same time, you know, Canada soccer had talked a lot about playing opponents in non-neutral venues, about playing opponents from CONCACAF, so this seems like a, a wild departure from that. I don't think Canada's played New Zealand since 1980, I'm pretty sure, in on the men's side, so that's, you know, a long time ago, and not an opponent they meet very often in international competition, uh, but what kind of test will this, you know, New Zealand bring for Canada on Saturday as they start this new era under john herdman
1: yeah i'd actually read somewhere that that it had already been scheduled and and it just happened to be new zealand whether or Mm. not that's (laughs) true you know they might just be saying that for us but um you know it's it's a new zealand team that's ranked lower than canada but has been to a world cup more recently than canada um (laughs) You know, I did hear, like I mentioned, that there are some some bigger names coming out, so it's, it's a beginning of a cycle for them as well, where uh, they're still trying to figure out where they're going, and with who, and who's going to carry them kind of thing, so uh, they don't know much about this New Zealand side that they're going to be facing, uh, it is a bit of a mystery, they did expect, you know, the same old platitudes of, uh, you know, it's going to be an organized side, they're <laughs> going to be strong, they're going to be physical, and uh, and you know I, I haven't been able to look at their the makeup of, of their roster entirely, but um, he, you know we can expect a side similar to Canada and that there's going to be uh, you know some growing pains involved with both of them and it's not you know going to be a flowing game by any stretch of the imagination, and we should really just sort of take it as it is what it is with both teams trying to to figure out a new direction.
0: Never forget, of course, New Zealand, the only team undefeated at the 2010 World Cup. Three draws in Three the group Three ties, stage. Yeah. that'll do it. <laughs> Just went right out. <laughs> um, but still, um, as you said, a bit more accomplished team than Canada internationally. That's not overly hard to do. Um, but there are some exciting, or at least an exciting concept of games coming up, that being Um, the CONCACAF Nations League I'm for one I'm pretty excited actually about the Nations League concept I think it'll bring more interesting international ties I mean it's it's a lot closer to a league format where teams will play um, you know teams within the region they'll be trying to move up points will be important um, but that said, at, at first, um, you know, as, as CONCACAF has revealed this format and Canada's initial opponents, it's it's not the most exciting group. I mean, U.S. Virgin Islands, um, Dominica, St. Kitts and Nevis and good old rival uh, French Guyana um, that will take place between September of this year and March of next Um But what are your thoughts on this format, what it could mean for Canada, um, evidently, as they try to qualify for the 2019 Gold Cup and that CONCACAF Nations A-League?
1: I think it's I I agree with you. I think it's fantastic where, uh, you know, so often we're looking what corner of the globe is Canada going in to play friendlies? And it's it's tough to organize friendlies. And a lot of times that's where you have to go um but this time you know these games count for even against the minnows they count for a whole lot more in terms of ranking points for fifa than uh non-competitive games than for friendlies so uh i i think it's great you get more trips down to these regions uh these parts of concacaf where you're going to need to to beat teams in world cup qualifying even against these smaller sides it is still tough to play in that part of the world, whether it's the Caribbean or Central America. So they're the kind of tests Canada needs more of. Uh, it streamlines things very much where you know your schedule this far in advance, because so often we get announced of, of friendlies coming up not you know a month or two in advance. <laughs> and this will will fans in particular will be able to see. Where Canada plays and when they'll be able to almost mark the calendars, kind of thing, because he'd anticipate um, that that you know they would make these games available in some capacity. I know from experience how difficult it is to stream a game from a place like Dominica. Fortunately, you know Canada's hosting them this time, but um, it's a tough process. And uh, that being said, you know even against these teams, there's something to gain. There's a way to cap tie players and and to just get more experience playing in CONCACAF because I think Canada will get more from playing a team like the U.S. Virgin Islands or Dominica or St. Kitts than it will from playing a South Korea like they did,
0: you know, a a year and a half ago or whatever it was. Do you think we'll see a big rotation for the national team during this time? Because um, at, at least, especially the U.S. Virgin Islands, you know, that's not, I don't think that's an opponent that truly threatens Canada as much as, you know, it is Canada and you always have to be worried about, Um, the worst thing happening but um, do you think we'll see a a number of different players brought in as as like you said they do have the chance to cap tie a couple of players they'll probably want to look at um, some of the younger players as well during these these big games yeah I do
1: I mean you'll you'll still get uh, some guys coming in who are uh, you know at full season whether it's you know North America USL or uh, or an MLS but and I don't think you would want to necessarily fly guys, you know, however long hours. And yes, I have tentatively looked at flights to the U.S. Virgin <laughs> Islands and you can fly to cheap for there, like 350 bucks round trip from Buffalo. Just saying. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot tougher to organize flights to a place like that from for a player from Europe. And if at all possible, you can leave some of your established guys home for that first trip anyway um, and see if some of the younger guys can get the job done mixed in with some of those veteran players who can impart teach on the fly kind of thing. Uh, I think the greatest flexibility would come in that first game where, uh, you know, you're not, you know, you you haven't slipped on the banana peel yet. If, If by some chance you slip up you lose points somehow then you change things and then you sort of go with the best team you can get but uh you know if if results keep going your way as you you know mix and match veteran guys who can shoulder a load with some young guys who are eager to impress you at least in that qualifying stage you 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 go with with who you think you can win
0: and are you hoping maybe canada I mean, this isn't a very Canadian soccer thing to do, but are you hoping maybe, you know, considering they're playing, you know, um, these not such big opponents that they might double up on friendlies? Obviously, you can't do that when you're traveling, but when you are hosting games, do you think they might look into bringing in a secondary opponent during the window and maybe um, get a couple of games instead of just the one?
1: I would. I mean, and I'll, and I'll say why, is, is because that's how it is in World Cup qualifying. There's a home in a way, regardless of where you're going when it comes to World Cup qualifying. And it, this Nations League format, once you get into whatever league you're playing in, it's for real. Uh, it's serious. But in these qualifying stages, it's a perfect opportunity to play how you're going to play in CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. and. With the home games in particular, I'm not sure the scheduling, I'm not sure how it's done, but if you can schedule a game at the end of the window for your home game and start on the road playing somewhere in CONCACAF against someone, and I'm sure there will be plenty of teams willing to sort of do the same, then you do that. And, you know, Canadian teams have notoriously struggled Uh, You know, with those two games, and it's usually on the road, as we've seen time and again. And so, yes, in terms of with these young guys coming up, you want them to know what it's like. And what Herdman did with the women's teams, where he sort of tried to simulate tournament formats, because, you know, those women's qualifiers are tournaments. The Women's World Cups, obviously, are tournaments. What he did there, getting them as much tournament experience as possible, he called them tournament experts. You want to do that in my opinion, with uh, this national team, where when you have a home game in this League of Nations qualifier, schedule it at the end of the window, if you can, and then a couple days before, try to
0: get something on the road first. Speaking of big international tournaments, there's obviously that matter of Canada being part of the bid for the United 2026 World Cup alongside the United States and Mexico. Um, a lot of news actually coming out of, of that bid this week, especially on the Canada side with Vancouver, BC Place, one of the venues I would have considered to be almost a lock in this, you know, on the Canadian side of this bid. They're not going to be a part of this, um, of the 2023 20, um, cities put forward to potentially host World Cup games. What are your thoughts on, you know, one of Canada's biggest cities deciding not to be a part of this bid?
1: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much Vancouver deciding it as it was the, the provincial government. And uh, the provincial government owns, or it's Pavco, who operates BC Place, is a, is a BC provincial corporation. And I mean, you know, you look at the business of it, it and a lot of people point out, well, look at the Women's World Cup, it was so successful. Yes, it was, but Vancouver hosted a number of games. It hosted the final. It... And the Women's World Cup is a completely different beast. You sort of look at these columns come out looking at FIFA's demands. And for three games, you know, I don't know. Three games maximum. You don't even know if they would get three. Uh, it's a strong, strong ask. And Vancouver in the summer is a busy, busy city. And, yes, I know there would be spin off business in advance and all of that. But looking at the list of security demands at stadiums, at hotels, at training sites, at airports... Uh, you know uh, i i i'm not one who's who's pulling my hair out in outrage the the provincial (laughs) government looked at it they looked at it and said for three games this is for three games and you know they made the choice and uh you you know i i I don't want to necessarily i agree with them i understand why i don't disagree with the decision in any way I, i sort of see it as two sides but um You know, you saw other cities pull out and look at the same way and say, how many games are we going to realistically host there for this tall, tall ask from from FIFA? And I know I read stuff where it's like, well, you go in and you get the bid approved and then you negotiate with FIFA and then pull out. When was the last time FIFA ever negotiated anything? (laughs) And I mean, it was it was John Oliver who did a, a great sort of look at it. He does these deep dives on these stories on his show. And he, uh, you know, he pointed out how Brazil had banned beer in stadiums because there were too many deaths. FIFA came in and said, no, 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 we're selling beer in stadiums. And then they did and then the i think it was Jerome Valca who's now you know one of those guys who's been politely dismissed from FIFA uh said he was surprised at the amount of drunkenness in the stands in Brazil and i'm sure people in Brazil went uh yeah we told you that and so it's FIFA doesn't negotiate you you do what FIFA says and uh, i think the BC government saw that early and and said you know what we're we're good <laughs>
0: Um, there are still three Canadian cities involved Um, Toronto, Edmonton Montreal Um, Toronto evidently BMO Field probably makes the most sense Uh, it's fairly easily expandable I think Toronto FC were planning on expanding it a little bit anyway Edmonton as much as you know, a certain Cajal Kelly column uh, kind of ripped them a couple of years ago I think that's a fine venue and I think it won't take that much work perhaps um, even if it's not the best looking venue but the one that I know there's been a lot of concern about and I want to be careful um, how I describe the stadium because I am talking to a Montreal Expos fan um, <laughs> but we we did get a look at, at the Big O uh, on Saturday in Toronto FC uh, against Montreal and You know, it's it's holding together, but just barely. And you know, in in a couple years' time, um, is this really a venue where you could see the World Cup being hosted?
1: You're you're talking to a Montreal Expos fan who has fond memories of games in that giant concrete tub. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, by 2026, imagine where that stadium is going to be, and. It sort of makes me think back at Vancouver. And one of the restrictions was FIFA, they require a certain radius around the stadium where I don't know if it's closed off to security or uh, to advertising or whatever. BC place is right in central Vancouver and, and any sort of disruption uh, within a certain radius, you're disrupting businesses and all this. And so uh, I think I read that around the Russian stadiums, it was two kilometers. And so the three that are left Commonwealth BMO and, uh, and the Olympic Stadium, there is space around for them to sort of, you know, cut stuff off. You're not impeding on too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the big O, uh, unless they rip that roof open and allow sunlight in, grass that they're going to install is going to last half an hour maybe (laughs) i don't know how many pitches they're going to have to uh to wheel in there on a daily basis and that i mean teams are going to be training there the day before they're going to be training there on game days and and i know uh by co-hosting this is really the only way canada could have gotten around that whole turf problem uh that cropped up with the women's game because now they can say oh the u.s mexico they're they're all they have to do it it has to be one surface so it's grass in all these facilities I just don't know how the Big O is going to stand that. I mean, it it sits on it sits on just sheer concrete. I mean, my expos, Andre Dawson's knees were destroyed <laughs> by his time playing on that rug in Montreal. And so, you know, from a, I mean, I I, I have I, I say this, I have the fondest of memories of games at the Big O. So many priceless memories that I'll cherish forever. But by twenty twenty six. God, that stadium is going to be I can only imagine. I mean, so long as the the tower doesn't topple inside, uh, I think that's a victory. But um, you know, the they're going to have to science their way into figuring out how to get drainage into that facility to make grass last a little bit than, you know, longer than as I said half an hour. Um, but it's, you know, there're just so many things that could go wrong and given the history of the facility, something will go wrong. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, as much as I'm excited about seeing Montreal try and replace an entire pitch at halftime, uh, I remain very skeptical about, you know, the potential of of them hosting those games. And honestly, as it gets closer to, you know, the the voting on, on this World Cup itself, I mean, for a long time it looked like at least from everything we heard, it looked like this was pretty much a lock. I mean, you had three countries, um, three countries, very capable of hosting international events with, with plenty of success hosting FIFA events. Um, people often say that Mexico has hosted two of the best world cups ever. Uh, Canada, obviously with the women's world cup that went very well in the U 20 world cup. And then the U S as well. But it seems almost like maybe they got overconfident. Maybe um, they didn't, you know, consider all of the all of the factors when it comes to FIFA. The, how likely does this does this look at this point to you? Because um, you know, it's starting to look bleaker by the day, almost.
1: Yeah, suddenly Morocco is a legitimate. Legitimate player in this, and I mean, you look at Chicago, you look at Minnesota pulling out, and for as much as they love to say how united they are, uh, it's really not looking like that. And it's not this. This should be a, a slam dunk, but and I think what what they've sort of focused on is oh, financially, it'll be fine. Logistically, it'll be fine. When has FIFA sort of cared about that? At the end of the day, they love their high-minded. We've brought this to africa for the first time and you know south africa whether they were ready to do it they love their you know their their ideals that there's something bigger i mean on the flag for the game for the world and it's you know they literally mean that and so if morocco can play its flowery rhetoric (laughs) uh to play enough to fifa and, and you look at how that votes they have africa just locked up guaranteed there's not going to be anyone breaking ranks from that then you look at asia then you look at parts of europe and and suddenly this you know i don't bet out morocco in any way and even i think it was steve sandor who pointed out look at the different websites between the united bid and and morocco and uh i think my browser thought the United bid was a phishing scam or something. <laughs> it, it was like, I got the, are you sure you want to go here? Wow. And the Morocco one, uh, you know, they showed people playing on the beach and this and that. And I mean, they loved to talk about Canada, Loved to talk about inspiring this and that when they got the women's world cup. I don't know why they're doing the same thing. They're essentially just saying, going for the, oh, we're stable. Uh, we'll be fine. and And that's it. But, it's uh it's not open and shut. It's 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 a race now. And uh you know anything can happen over the the coming weeks and months. <laughs> uh just keep an eye out for 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 envelopes. But no, no, just <laughs> kidding. Um uh, but uh yeah, it's it's it, it should be a slam dunk for North America not only to say, "Oh yeah, we we don't need to build much. We have stadiums. Uh we're good." Uh you know, Talk about continuing to grow the game in North America and say, you know, we U.S. generally has the highest traveling ticket support and just say, imagine that here. Imagine squares packed with fans and this and that. And it's not hard to do. It's just, you know, uh, I, I don't know what their their plan is for the next couple months other than, you know, maybe prevent other cities and from withdrawing. <laughs>
0: And you wonder how much the political situation in the United States will will affect this as well. Obviously, the United Bid's been uh, really careful about not talking too much about that. Uh, everyone always says, you know, the U.S. is very much on board with this. Um, we we've been working together well, but at the same time, there's a lot of countries right now out there who you know aren't particularly happy with the leadership in in the United States. And um, how much do you see that potentially playing into uh, in terms of some regions that? um, you know, they'll they'll definitely be trying to get on board.
1: Yeah, it's sort of the one time where I wish talking points were just sort of thrown out the window. And I, I, I wasn't on that conference call the other day, but uh, you know, it was it was a exercise in frustration if you were looking for enlightening answers because they were all stick to their talking points of, oh yes, we're not hearing anything. Well, of course they're not going to tell you anything. <laughs> if if you're traveling to Asia and the head of an FA says we're worried about your president, what's the U.S. soccer president going to do? Uh, we'll try to vote him out in a couple of years. Uh, you know, it's it would be nice if someone said you know what, we we have some obstacles, obviously, don't have to name it, just say we have some obstacles, but it's our job to convince these people that it is the best bid, and we are confident that we have the best bid. So um, yeah, I have no doubt that uh, politics are playing into this, especially from uh, countries that <laughs> the, the, the United States president doesn't seem to appreciate, uh, <laughs> but it's it's that, that's their job now. That's their job is to say that, you know, he will at least by the u.s constitution uh be let's see 2026 yeah he should should be gone by then yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hope anyway um, yeah so well that's why by the u.s constitution who knows what's going to happen by then mm. um but uh you know they should just say you know there will be there will be changes no matter what over the next coming years and and we are all this is where the infrastructure comes into play and they said we already have this already in place our job is to you know just make this the best world cup possible for everyone around the world period in in 2026
0: now there there is one bit or one other bit of competition news that I wanted to touch on. Um, it's more of a rumor, really, but Alejandro Echeverria of ESPN Deportes is reporting Canada. Yes, Canada has been invited to the 2019 Copa America. Um, what we do know up to this point is that there will be 16 teams in that Copa America competition, and three will be from Concacaf. Mexico is pretty much a lock. Uh, the U.S. are expected to be the other. Um, but what would this potentially mean for canada obviously it's still very much at the rumor stage um if if they were brought in um i mean for you it could mean a trip to brazil
1: <laughs> i don't i don't plan that far in advance but uh <laughs> yeah but what's confusing is it's a gold cup year yeah and and that is the priority the, the gold cup is the priority i don't know Either how you build two separate teams for these tournaments. And sure, it'll be great to see, I guess, uh, you know, Canada take on Brazil and Argentina. Uh, You know, I obviously don't expect favorable results there. But, you know, how does this then impact the Gold Cup? And if you go, say, with a young team, sure, take a young team to the Copa America, but I think can it you know if Canada is going, uh, it's going there for a reason, and I'm not sure how organizers would feel about Canada bringing you know an under twenty three or an under twenty team to take on their best teams. Um, so it you know until you know if if it happens, because obviously we're dealing in hypotheticals right now, yeah. Canada would have to let out a very clear case on how they would build this summer, first of all, and how it would or would not impact the Gold Cup. Uh, because, yeah, yeah, Brazil going to Brazil would be fun. I also love covering the Gold Cup. It's a very fun tournament to cover. I love the format where I'm in three different cities or four different cities all the time. I think it's great. Um, but uh, that's my main concern with this. And, uh, you know, all power to them. I'm also not sure what the organizers get by inviting Canada. I really don't. Uh, because Canadian fans know the World Cup, and then outside of small groups, I'm not sure how many people would would say, "Hey, our team is in the Copa America, guys." <laughs> I'm sure you'd get a lot of blank stares from that. So, um, yeah. So if if they get invited, cool. But uh, just there, there, there's so many moving parts that that make me think, why is why is this a, a good choice for them to do?
0: I would assume it's it's some kind of side deal, maybe to do with the the World Cup bid and you know giving these teams a chance to compete in a big tournament that will you know be hosting the World Cup in in twenty twenty six and quite, as well as quite the possibly
1: other... sort sort of around yep. like the uh, when Canada's under twenty three team went to play Guyana and and whoever else it was right before the CONCACAF presidential <laughs> election.
0: Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds uh, a little fishy right there, but. Um, uh, the other thing I'd mention would be the television rights I mean Canada um you know Canada didn't really if I remember correctly have you know a big um you know a big television company showing the Copa America so potentially you know if if they're in the in the competition, it would put a bigger onus on one of the bigger two um, communications companies in Canada bidding and uh, securing this tournament, which would mean extra money. It's it's all about money, realistically, when it comes oh, to the whole all these things these and, days. and and all the side deals uh, we talked about. Um, but as you said, I would be very much worried about, you know, if you're Mexico, you can do that where you're under 23 team. Um, is at the very least competitive in terms of you know playing like a Venezuela or a Peru or something like that. Canada, n- not so much. Um, it, we just don't have enough depth in this country in terms of players to to compete in two huge tournaments in one summer um, without a huge amount of overlap. So um, definitely something to watch and and will be interesting going forward. Um, Let's move on to a bit of Major League Soccer, Um, our Toronto FC segment presented by SB Nation's Waking the Red. On Saturday, Toronto FC fell 1-0 to the Montreal Impact at the Big O. Speaking of O's, now 0-2, last place in the MLS Eastern Conference. Haven't scored in an MLS game yet. Panic stations, Gavin? (laughs) Uh,
1: Not particularly, um, but... You know, hey, teams Teams are figuring some stuff out. And it's now uh, Mr. Vanny's time to design something new, uh, or at least not something new. But he's, he's got to figure his situation out pretty quickly because uh, that red line does become a problem pretty quickly. Not that they're going to miss the playoffs or anything, but uh, they are showing you know ways ways that they can be beaten and and that they're human after all and uh but it, it was lucky of them that they got to uh move a a, a fixture for the <laughs> CONCACAF Champions League I think it was Vancouver last year who tried to do the same thing but had that idea kiboshed so I don't know how, how well that's play- anyway um but uh, no it's 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 obviously too early the the issues now are uh is it two games without goals in league play they got to start figuring something out there
0: yeah, and I, I would think one of the reasons that's happening um, would be missing a player like Victor Vasquez. I mean, you saw Montreal on Saturday. They sat back a lot. Um, you know, they basically, like, invited pressure from Toronto FC. Toronto FC had all the possession during the game, but didn't seem to be able to break them down at all. And without someone like Vasquez, who can play that pass into into feet like Sebastian javinko and, and Josie Altidore-like, um they didn't seem to you know have have all that much in terms of breaking montreal down um is is that a little bit concerning for a team that makes itself to be such a super club that you know they're missing one player and all of a sudden um they're they're struggling a little bit to to break a team like montreal down who let's not forget didn't make the playoffs last year
1: yeah i mean this was last year anyway toronto was supposed to have its deepest team of all time um, and as far as I know, they've, they've only just gotten deeper with some new additions. So, um, the fact that, that one player's absence makes that much of a difference because you're right. Teams will be, you know, saying, Hey, come and, come and break us down. You're the best team in MLS history. Okay. Try, um, you know, if you don't have a guy who can find that creative pass to break down teams, then, then you're very much in trouble. And I mean, it is you know, the opportunity for a Canadian guy like Jonathan Asorio. if you are an attacking midfielder, a creative player, this is, this is your opportunity to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if it, if it does come down to, you know, Victor Vasquez, then, uh, you know, there, there's trouble beneath the surface.
0: Indeed. At the same time, Asorio has done well this season. And uh, so has Aguirre. Catch Well, Edgar Akeche, you can see kind of where he could fit into the Vasquez role. There's, you know, he's played a couple of those passes. Um, evidently, um, it it does take a little bit, and we've always seen that with European players coming over to MLS. It does take a couple of games for them to understand uh, the pace of the game and, and the differences in terms of that. Um, at the same time, you know, 0-2 oh, in league games. How much does the league really matter to Toronto FC right now? Because I, I would say at least in terms of if you're looking at at the four trophies they could win this season, the Supporters Shield is probably uh, almost certainly the least important. Um, so you know, should they just be mostly focused on Concacaf Champions League as much as they can at this point?
1: Well, at this stage, yes. I mean, Toronto is a team that, that is is loving making history these days. And <laughs> regardless of what happens in the MLS season, if they can go out and get a CONCACAF Champions League and start boasting that they're going to play, you know, the best in Europe and the best in South America, that's the season. They will they will market that until the end of the world or at least until, you know, the end of next season or whatever. But um Yeah, I mean, they can, they can, I wouldn't say they can coast on that, but, um, you know, they'll have a more than satisfied fan base if they can knock off all these Mexican teams that stand in their path. They've done one, uh, despite the fact that they weren't Mexican champions this year. I think Club America is, is a very tough team to break down or a very tough team to beat. They, they, given their, their history and their legacy and especially how they looked in the last round. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean right now anyway, it's still early in the MLS season that yeah, put your all your eggs in in the the Champions League basket and and uh, and see what happens and I think that's that's you know what they're doing at least right now. They they want to be that historic first MLS team that can win and knock off the Mexican superpowers and, and and continue to ride that wave.
0: And on Saturday, Nacho Piatti continuing to be a problem for Toronto FC um what is what is it about this player that really seems to affect Toronto FC and you know, in terms of, of MLS stars, he's the one who seems to always cause them problems every time these two clubs play.
1: Um I'm trying to make a, a Jack Black Nacho Libre reference. <laughs> because Nacho Anyway. Um I you know, he's just one of those guys who gets up for those games and there's everybody has their teams that they're uh, that they that they love to peak for that they always seem to turn out for. I mean, you know, I'll never forget Ruber Pires in his Arsenal days. Always seen. Well, he was always a great you know goal scoring midfielder anyway, but especially so against Tottenham Hotspur those North London derbies. It's like oh, there's Pires with another goal. Um, it's it's just one of those things where you you have a knack against teams and. In in Piatti's case, you know, I'm sure he circles that TFC fixture, those couple fixtures a year, and goes, all right, those ones right there are where I'll uh, I'll make my mark once again. And and sure enough, he he did. He looked great last time on uh, the you know when they when they played TFC the last time. As I'm sure he will every time this <laughs> season the two come up against him. So, uh, you know, if if you're looking for a guy that you try to remove from the game from future encounters, uh, I'm saying legally, not you know illegally, but just try to figure a way to to take Piotti out of the game uh, through whatever, by sitting two guys on him, by, you know, whatever you need to do, he's the one that you watch and and, and you'll find some success.
0: And from a Canadian soccer perspective, Montreal right now Uh, A fun team to watch. I mean, whereas Toronto, it's been basically Jonathan Osorio and then a bit of Ashton Morgan out of necessity. Uh, Montreal's made a point of, you know, Samuel Piat's been a very regular player in their midfield. Um, Edwards has had some minutes. He obviously didn't play against Toronto FC, but I think that was more uh, a stylistic thing as they were sitting back more defensively. Um, we've evidently seen Michael Petrasso make a name for himself at, at that right-back position, um, you know, saving Montreal on Saturday, clearing a ball off the line. And then you know, Anthony jackson hamel is back now and, and will definitely be in the, in the hunt for minutes, especially with his form last season. Um, just how exciting has it been to see you know, a Canadian MLS team finally play some Canadians?
1: I mean, it's taken this long, but it finally where they'd say, this is what it'll look like, and, and this is an idea of what it'll look like. I, uh, I, I think it's fantastic, because as a guy who covers more Canadian national team than uh, MLS, as I do, um, you know, I, I pay attention more to the teams that are playing Canadians, and so... Um, you know it's it's fantastic and when Remy Gard, when Montreal said uh, thanks but no thanks to I think it was the last two rounds of the super draft and Remy mm. Gard said uh you know we've we've like what we've got coming through the academy i thought that was fantastic um you know it's what you want to see and even, there are guys like Louis Ballon-Goyette, who's also there in the mix and uh David Chouinard as well and and James Pantemis and Goal Uh, so it's, it's, it's finally what you sort of had in mind in the early days of MLS when they said this is going to form the backbone of the Canadian national team. And, and I can only hope it continues. I, I, you know, I sent a message to, to Sam Piet because, you know, from my time working for, for Canada, I got to know a lot of these guys really well. I said, man, this is, this is exciting. I'm glad to see this is happening. And he replied with a, with a me too, this is, this is going to be fun. And um, you know, if they can be a team that that uses these Canadian kids and pushes for, you know, an unlikely playoff berth, then uh, that will translate to the, to the national program as well, which was the stated objective all along.
0: Mm. Um, Let's move on to our final segment then. Yeah. This is your crazy soccer story of the week. Each week, we take a look at one crazy soccer story from around the soccer world. And this week, it's the fastest man on earth turned soccer star. Um, Apparently, Usain Bolt is on trial with Borussia Dortmund now. He calls it a trial. I wonder if the club thinks he, you know he's coming in to to do a couple of training sessions and maybe uh, maybe mess around a little bit. I don't think they realize his ambitions of of playing for Manchester United. Eventually, um, he said he wants to play left wing, which is hilarious considering Marco Royce is there right now. Um, but you know uh, he's already talked to to Jose Mourinho about about this potential move, and he can't be that much worse than Alexis Sanchez, right?
1: <laughs> hey, you get the shot in at Sanchez. Um, well, I mean, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, it's just—I I, kind of want to see what he's like running at speed with the ball because running and running with the ball are completely different things. Um, so, I, I'd like to see some video. I saw some pictures of him with Borussia Dortmund, but I would love to see it. I mean, it's sort of like the Chad Ocho Cinco playing with Kansas City. Once upon a time, sort of on steroids, where it's a guy who's you know one of the most renowned athletes in the world, if not the most renowned athlete. So, uh, yeah, Borussia Dortmund. I'm sure I I can only guess how quickly it'll be before they come out with a kit with bolts on the back (laughs) that they'll just sort of sell. But at this stage, it it, yeah, it's publicity with uh, a very confident man and rightfully so, uh, making claims that I, I, I. I I can't imagine <laughs> uh I can't imagine happening in the real in the real world but you know uh we as we talked about money makes the world go round and uh, and I can only imagine what a Bolt Manchester United jersey will will sell you know for so anything is possible man <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very true it is a crazy world we live in uh one thing I would point out uh Bolt sponsor Puma guess who Borussia Dortmund's sponsor is that's probably, uh, that's probably a lot of the story right there. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining me this week, Gavin. I really appreciate it, and enjoy the rest of your time in Spain. Um, I think most, most listeners right now will be very envious of the weather uh, down there right now. Um, what are you working on while you're down there, and uh, how can people find your reporting over the next couple of days?
1: Uh yeah, you mentioned earlier. I've got uh, got some stuff into to CP. I got a piece in there today. I got a post game story that I'll do for for Sportsnet uh, this weekend. I'm not sure what time it'll air, but I I've got a little radio feature in the works for CBC Radios the World this weekend, um, and that airs Saturday and Sunday at I believe six p.m. Um, I'm not sure what day it'll go with. I need to to put a, a bow on that one, or at least the script, and then. Uh, you know, finish that stuff up, Uh, you know, I'll do some work for some writing little pieces for MLS soccer as well. So it'll be around, uh, you know, (laughs) there's nobody else here uh, covering (laughs) it uh, on the ground. So that's, 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 that's my, uh, not claim to fame, but it's, it's my thing. So I'm going to ride this as long as I can. And yes, the, the weather is quite comfortable here.
0: Well, don't get too lonely. Um, That concludes our show. A quick reminder uh, to pick up your tickets for to footy talks five on may 3rd at the rivoli Uh, we just announced a number of new panelists including last week's footy talk podcast co-host josh cloak so make sure to check out homestandsports.ca for tickets i'm mitchell tierney mls editor at homestand sports thanks for listening